This morning we are going to be jumping back into Romans chapter uh, 13. We have set aside a whole year to go through the book of Romans. We only have just a few short weeks left. Um, We have been going through Romans all year long and a couple of weeks ago we had a significant change in kind of what Paul has been laying out for us. For 11 chapters in the book of Romans, Paul has been primarily concerned with right thinking about the character and nature of Jesus Christ. Or you might be able to say it this way. For 11 chapters, Paul's primary objective is right theology. Getting us to think rightly about the character and nature of Jesus Christ. But why has he done that? Why has Paul been, for 11 chapters, been so concerned about us getting a clear picture about who Jesus Christ is? Because now he's going to make a shift, which, which he started just a couple of weeks ago, to say, now that you have right thinking about God, how is that going to lead to a right response about the character and nature of God? So Paul is really, as of a couple of weeks ago, says, what are you going to do about what Christ has done for you? And so in chapter 12, Paul starts rattling off all these lists of things that seem like things you should be doing, like things that you should be like implementing in your life. And it can feel like this checklist of things that we got to get done. And if you do that, we said a couple weeks ago, you got to pause and reconsider. If you feel like there's some sort of checklist of things you got to get done, you've missed the first 11 chapters. Certainly, that's not what Paul's objective is, to feel like he's heaping something on top of you. But what Paul wants to show you, uh, he's been showing us is, now that you have right thinking about Jesus Christ, how are you going to respond with your feet rightly? Um, And so what Paul wants to show us are, these are symptoms of a gospel-infected life. If you have been infected by the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, these are just a couple of examples of what your life should look like. These things should actually show up in your life. So this is not religion dumped on you, but this is response to us. A response to us. And so last week, Mackie did a beautiful job. If you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back and walk through it, uh, listen to it. He did a beautiful job of walking us through a particularly hard scripture about obeying our government and obeying those in authority above us. And we were in chapter 13, and he left off in verse 7. And verse 7 said this, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, sorry, you got to pay taxes. If it's revenue, then revenue. If it's respect, then respect. If it's honor, then give them honor. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 8 right after that this morning, where Paul is going to continue this idea of pain, of 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 paying uh, it forward. And we're going to look at starting in verse 8 this morning. So Romans 13, starting in verse 8 for us this morning. I believe God has a very timely word for us and something that I believe is just central to his heart. And And so chapter 13, starting in verse 8, says this. Let no debt remain except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And so Paul says in verse 7, pay.
pay them. If you owe people, pay your debts. If you owe anybody, just make sure that you are settling all of your accounts. And in verse 8, he takes that right along and he continues that thought process. And he's basically saying, listen, there's going to come a point where you pay off that stupid credit card, where you bought things you shouldn't and you spent more than you were, you should have. And you, there's going to come a time where you're going to pay that thing off. And then he goes on and he's like, listen, there's going to be some time where you finally make that last payment on the car and your account will be settled. When you pay off the student loan, brothers and sisters, that is a good day. But he says, oh, nobody anything. There will come a time where you and I have our accounts settled. They are paid in full. And then Paul continues this idea with us this morning. He says, don't owe anybody anything except the debt of love. Why? Why does he say continually pay because we have a debt of love? Because you can never settle up with the debt to love someone. You can never satisfy the debt to love one another. You can never pay down on the principle of love. You are always called to love as followers of Christ. This is the primary marker of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That we are marked by the by the love of Christ. That our lives look like a life of overflowing love everywhere that we set foot. So a question for us this morning. Is that true? When you kind of Look around, do you feel like the people of God are marked and categorized and known by our radical love? This last week I was on Google and it's funny because even if you Google, why are Christians so, Google kind of gets all prophetic on you and automatically fills in that blank, but it says things like, why are Christians so judgmental, hypocritical, angry? That's what it says. That's what Google says about followers of Jesus Christ, that they are marked by something other than love. You know what happens when you type in on Google, why are dogs so, you know what pops up? Loyal, loving, kind, sweet, expensive, right? It's, it's, it's a stark contrast that we've got as the followers of Jesus, the church universal, we have some work to do on what we are known about. We should, buy, should be marked first and foremost by the love of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, no, no, any, don't owe anybody except the debt to love. Now, I believe, friends, this is where we get a little off. Because we love love. Love is everywhere that you look, uh, look. You see it in movies. You see it in TV. You see it in music. You see it in art. And when love becomes everywhere, what tends to happen is the real bite, the original intent can get watered down. And this morning, I want us to be real clear about when Paul talks about to pay the debt of love, that you and I are clear about what that actually is. Because Paul says that we owe nobody anything except the debt to love. And you and I, as people that follow Jesus, that are following in the footsteps of God, we need to be very clear that we are defining what love is through the lens of the Scripture. 
And so this morning, I want us to, to dive in and to, to have an, not an exhaustive list, but to have a few pictures, a few reference points for us of what the Bible, of how the Bible talks about love. And so here we go. What is love? Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm just going to save you right now. When we say, what is love? I'm going to save you. You are quarantined with your kids. Don't finish the sentence and say, baby, don't hurt me, because it will be in your mind all day long, brothers and sisters. And I tell you what, right now, you don't need that put on you. But what is love? First John 3.16 says this, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In other words, the debt of love towards someone else is because of what Christ has done when we didn't deserve it. The moment that you look at somebody else and you say they are unlovable, you have completely missed the gospel message. When you look at somebody and say, I don't owe that person anything, you've missed what Paul has been writing about for 11 chapters. You've missed what God, what Paul has been laying out about the character and nature of God because it says, while we were at our worst, God didn't, I didn't have to measure myself up, make myself presentable and say, God, look how awesome I am to you that you cast your love on me. But it was solely because of the goodness of God and not because how good I was that he chose to set his love on me. So we owe the debt of love, not because they deserve it, but catch this, but because we didn't deserve it, that God loved you, that God loved me. So what is love? Here we go. I want to go real quickly through just a couple of pictures of how the Bible talks about love. First is this. It's not primarily a feeling. The Bible, love is primarily described as not as a feeling. Now, when we talk about love, we, talk, we say things about when we describe love, we typically think of it as, as like this strong feeling that wells up inside of us. And we say things like, I love you. Oh, I'm so in love with that thing. Oh, oh my goodness, I just love that. And what we're actually saying, if you, if you dig beneath the surface, is you, you're actually saying, is I love me. I love the way that thing makes me feel. I love you, I love me better when I am with you. It's not that love is not just primarily, it's not that love is not a feeling, but when the Bible talks about love, the love is not totally encompassed by a feeling. It's more than a feeling. How do you know that? Because Jesus says crazy things, friends. He says crazy things to us, <laughs> like love your enemies, do you know if we thought good th things about our enemies, they would not be our enemies? They would be your friends, right? So Jesus says that even though you don't have the strong emotional response or feelings of love or emotional response towards somebody, it is still possible to love people biblically the way that Jesus intended. Now, every, every, uh, every wedding that I've ever gone to, I'm sure it is true for you, we love to go through 1 Corinthians 13. 
It's just one of those kind of love verses. And, and honestly, I don't know why couples pick it because it's not really between a husband. I mean, it is, but it's not really primarily described that way. It's described more for us, like as the body of Christ, how we come together. And look at what it says. It says that it's not in your notes, but I'll read to you what it says. It says this, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. It says, love is patient. So what does love look like? Love, to love your kids is not that mushy, gushy feeling that that wells up in you, but love is more of a, a, of a byproduct. It's more of the result of that when you got your kids home for four straight weeks and you're on quarantine and they have not brushed their teeth in like three days, they haven't done a lick of homework and you are short on your temper, it is possible, even though you don't feel it, to be radically loving with your kids and choose to be patient. It goes on and it says, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Question for you, are any of those feelings? No. Those are all responses. Because love is not primarily categorized by how we feel. It says love keeps no records of wrongs. You know when you're in a fight with your, with your spouse, with your husband or your wife, and you're like, I told you the same thing back in 1996. I don't know why we're still talking. That's not what love does. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices when the truth wins out. It always protects, always trusts, always is hopeful, and always perseveres. Because love, friends, is not primarily marked by that, 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 that feeling inside of us. As 1 John 3.16 says, don't love in word and talk, but love in deed and in truth. Next, the Bible talks about, that, about love this way. That the source of love is not us. That we are not the author of love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says this. Dear friends, let us love one another for love, catch this part, comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. Whoever does not love does not know God. So every time I get to do a, a, a wedding with a young couple, uh, and I walk them through their covenant as they are coming together. I say the same thing to them every single time. Listen, you are coming with sick puppy love just dripping over your hearts today. But I want you to know that there will come a day where maybe that feeling uh, begins to wane. When you are not just like, oh my gosh, when they walk in the room, you're, it just takes your breath away. But I, I always encourage them, listen, you can't give something you haven't first received. Yes, you come with hearts that are full of love and joy and anticipation, but I need you to know that you are not the author of love, that, that God above is the author of love. And if you want to love somebody for a lifetime, you got to be connected to the source. You have to be connected to the source who is love for us because you can't love, you can't be patient with somebody unless you've received the patience of God. You can't be gracious with somebody unless you personally have received the grace of God. When it's hard for you to like say the right thing to that person, you remember that you've received the kindness of God. He has only spoken words of affection and love for you. 
you are not the source of love that God is. That's why you cannot say, I'm just not a loving person. Because I, you're right, you're not a loving person. But here, because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside of you, God has transformed you through the power of the Holy Spirit that now you are love. You are walking love because he is the source. If you keep going right along, the Bible also talks about love as this, is that love sacrifices. No doubt you've heard it. You might have even said it. You've said things like, well, I just don't love them anymore. Or that relationship, I'm just, yeah, he doesn't do it for me anymore. They don't do it for me anymore. And I think what we're really saying, if you kind of dig beneath the surface, is I don't, what you're really saying is, I don't love the way that they make me feel anymore. And I need you to hear this this morning, that love is primarily not about self-satisfaction. And I know that because that's a lot of my story, me and my wife's story, where I believed for years that it was her job to satisfy all of my needs. And it's just not possible. And we lived in this vicious cycle of just paper cutting each other to death, where I thought, man, well, if, I, if I'm not happy, it's because she's not meeting my needs. If I don't feel valuable, it's because she's not respecting me. And I kept this in this place. I had this mentality that I believed that it was her job to satisfy all of my longings inside of me. And you need to know that love is primarily not about self-satisfaction, but that love is categorized mostly by sacrifice. See Jesus on the cross. 1 John 4.10 says this, This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, listen to this part, and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That love is primarily categorized by saying, I lay my life down. Love is primarily categorized by self-sacrifice, by saying, not what I want, but what he wants. And so I yield. And lastly, the Bible talks about love as, as this, that love always goes first. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrated his love for us this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Most of us, if we're honest, kind of walk around and we talk about loving one another and it's primarily a reactionary way that like I'll love you when you start loving me that way or I'll start respecting you when you start honoring me and love does not do that. Love always goes first. You can call that whatever you want to call it, but the Bible does not talk about that as love. Jesus before we did anything to deserve his love, out of his love and kindness and his grace, he set his love on us. God demonstrated his love for you by going first, by giving his first, by giving 
his best. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because love goes first. Love does not look for the other person to get themselves together and for Christy, my wife, to do all the things that I think that she needs to do before I will set my love on her. Real love, biblical love, loves her right in the middle of it. It's what she does for me when I am a mess, when I'm short-tempered, when I'm frustrated, when I'm impatient. She doesn't wait to love me before I get myself together. She loves me right in the middle of all that. And she does it beautiful. So back to our kind of original passage about what Paul is saying. He says, no, oh, don't owe anybody anything except love. And so it's not based on your love for them. It's based on Christ's love for you that we owe the debt of love. And that debt of love is primarily marked not by your feelings. We are not the source of it. Love is defined primarily by sacrifice and that love goes first. And Paul finishes up in that verse and he says, whoever loves one another fulfills the law. And so Paul is speaking real specifically about the Older Testament and the, and the Ten Commandments. And he says, whoever loves one another fulfills uh, the law, fulfills the law of the Old Testament. And so oftentimes we talk about kind of the law as this thing that is negative or that's just religion or, or that's the, we don't have to do that thing anymore because we couldn't do it. Now listen, we have to be careful because Jesus certainly didn't feel that way. The, it's not that the law was bad, it's that we were. We were unable to keep it. And in fact, the way we even talk about the Ten Commandments oftentimes maybe is far from what God had in mind. You have to remember that when, God, when, when the law was given to Israel, that they were a, formerly a slave people coming out of a life of slavery. And God was teaching them how to live free. And so he gives them the Ten Commandments to teach them how to live as free people. In fact, even the language, even the term Ten Commandments is probably not the best way for us to describe it. The, a better way for us to talk about it are the Ten Sayings, or the Ten Instructions. God is instructing. He's teaching people how to live free, how to really love one another. And Paul picks that up in verse 9, and it says this. Let's look at it together. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whether you're in whatever, excuse me, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That phrase right there, to love your neighbor as yourself, would have stung a little bit. Remember, this book, this letter was written to the church at Rome that was full of all types of people, but they knew their scripture. They knew that when it talks about to love your neighbor as yourself, that would have connected them back to Deuteronomy 6, and it would have connected them to the very words of Jesus because there was stories rattling around. The common question, the common conversation at the time was, well, who is my neighbor? How do I define who my neighbor is? And the, and the idea that they were wrestling with is, like, how wide are, is the net that I have to go to love people around me? Because you and I are tend, to, tend to be people that define love real narrow. And we tend to define it real shallow. shallow. And what Paul and I believe every page of the scripture 
reminds us of us that you got to spread the love. It's deeper and wider than you can even imagine of who my neighbor is. There's a story where Jesus bumps up to this question about who is my neighbor. It's found in the book of in the book of Luke, starting in chapter 10. And I'm going to read it, and we're going to go through it just real quickly. And I want you to see how Jesus begins to define who his neighbor is. It's found in Luke 10, 25. It says this. On one occasion, the experts of the law stood up to test Jesus. Never a good idea. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus knows that this guy is an expert, and he says, well, what's written? How do you read it? And he answered, know this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you got it. Nailed it. You have answered correctly, friend. And he says, do this, and you will live. Not know this, but do this, and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself and ask, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? which if you pause and consider, what is he actually asking is not who is his neighbor. He's actually asking who is not my neighbor? Who do I get to leave out? How big is the circle? And so Jesus replies and tells this man a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him for half dead. And so Jesus tells the story to this man about who is his neighbor? And he tells the story of this man going from Jerusalem to Jericho who catches this beating so badly and severely that he's bloody, that he's naked, and he's left for dead on the side of a road. Verse 31 says this, a priest happened to be going down that same road. Thank God. A man of God, somebody know, that knows God's heart is coming to the rescue. And look at what it says. A priest happened to be going down that same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. That, that road from Jerusalem to Jericho is not a very wide road. It's not like it's like the six-lane highways that you may have seen. It's really narrow. And the idea of, of passing to the other side of the road is not moving to the fifth lane over. But the idea is he had to step over the man to keep going on his way. So too, verse 32, so too a Levite, oh thank goodness, somebody that is like a priest that, that knows God's heart as well is coming to the rescue. And when he came to the place, he saw the man and he passed on the other side. The Levite looks like the one that he follows. Looks like the, the priest that came. It was his disciple. That's why we think discipleship is so important because you begin to look like the one you follow and the Levite looks like the one he follows and passes to the other side of the road. Verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw the man, he took pity on him. And this is not like, Oh, I pity you. Oh, poor pitiful thing. That's not what it, that, that's not the imagery that's going on there. This is the type of the imagery where Jesus looks at the crowd and he has great compassion over them. This is the idea. And so the man looks at this bloody naked guy laying half dead on the side of the room and he's moved with compassion and it takes action. When he went to him, he went to him and he bondages his roots, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey. 
Y'all, that is crazy. The, the context for that is we kind of lose some of it because we don't ride on donkeys, but we got cars. Imagine pulling up on the side of a road to a bloody, naked, half-dead man on the side of the road and scooping him up and letting all of that just blood and all of that stuff just put in your front seat of your car and it going everywhere. It's scandalous. It's radical. That's what love does. It says he put him on the man's donkey and brought him to an end and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper because love is costly. It sacrifices. And he says, look after him. And when I will return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the expert in the law said this, the one who had mercy. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so the man comes to Jesus with, with our question that we've been wrestling with this this morning is, how do you pay the debt of love? Who is my neighbor? How wide is the net that I have to cast? And so often the people of God narrow it in with a shallow depth. And Jesus looks at this man and says, you want me to tell you how deep you got to love? Let me tell you a story. This is what love looks like. Go and do likewise. When the world tells us it's not logical for you anymore. You've gone too far. It's not smart to love people that way anymore. The love that the Bible talks about just keeps going and it's deeper and it's wider than you ever could have imagined. And so you're, you're in your home and you tuned in to us on a Sunday morning. You're like, John, are you telling me right now that I got to muster up the strength to love even those people that love is deeper and wider than I can ever imagine and I got to do that? I'm telling you, no. You can't do that because you're not the source. That through the power of the Holy Spirit coming in and taking up residency inside of you, you can be transformed into love. The opportunity to love one another, to pay the debt of love, friends, is everywhere, right now. Just this last week, I was uh, visiting with one of my disciple-making groups. And we have been praying this prayer of, Lord, include me. So every day we get up and at 7.30 we pray, Lord, include me. Whatever is on your agenda today, God, I just want to be a part of. Would you include me with your plans? And the debt of love was paid this last week. One of my good friends was at the grocery store and he was in line checking out and he overheard in the aisle over. It must be your machine. I promise this isn't, there, there's money in my, and, they, and the checker said, ma'am, it's not our machine. And my friend, Lord include me. The debt of love that love always is expanding and always is growing, scoots to the next aisle. And while this woman is not even looking, she's arguing with the, red, with the checker, slips his debit card in and pays for her order. And the lady couldn't even find the words to thank him. Humbled. The debt, that's the debt of love. You know what's beautiful about that story? 
as he, as he said to the lady, it's your transaction. Do you want cash back? What a beautiful picture for us. That love keeps going. That when we see the words of Jesus about who my neighbor is, they are everywhere right now. I believe the world is watching. Is watching the Christian church to see if we have anything to say in this season. That Do we have any response? Do we have any answer? Are we going to live any differently in the midst of this right now? And what a timely word for us. Yeah, yeah. We pay the debt of love. It's not because the other person is this awesome person or they've earned it or they've measured up. It's because we didn't deserve it. And Jesus still gave the best. Because we didn't deserve it, we freely bless and extend to others around us. I believe that God did not cause what is going on right now. But he is not going to waste it. He's not going to waste the season that we find ourselves in. That for many of us, this is a reset. This is an opportunity, as we've said this morning, to turn to the author of love and let him love us fully and deeply in a way that maybe we've never known. Because if you're like me, you've said, I'm just too busy. I've got so much going on. I just need more time so I can meet with the And you know what? God's given you that. He's freely given that to you right now. To let God be the source of love, that his love is just set on you, and now it just flows through you, and that we get the joy and the privilege of never paying down the debt of love, that everywhere we look right now, there's opportunities to pay the debt of love.